0: Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you through the study of your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would have us to see from these messages to to the enemies of Israel. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 28, starting at verse 20. And we've been reading on a whole bunch of uh, curses on the nations around Israel. So... We're going to continue that theme for a little while. Uh, one of the things that makes Ezekiel a hard book to study is it's just packed with angry angry curses and and judgments. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Sidon, or Sidon, and prophesy against it, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will t- be glorified in the midst of you and, you, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall have executed judgment in her and shall have sanctified and be sanctified in her. For I will send into her pestilence and blood into her streets and the wounded shall be judged in the midst of her by the sword upon her every side and they shall know that I am the Lord and there shall be no more prickling briar unto the house of Israel nor shall grievous thorn of all that are round about them that despise them, and they shall know that I am the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in the land that that I have given unto my servant Jacob. And they shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yea, they will dwell with confidence when I have executed judgment upon those that despise them, round about them, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Me, what are we? 28, verses 20 through the end of the chapter. All right, so this curse is on Sidon if you still have your maps. We've been talking about Tyre, and Sidon is up the coast of Phoenicia uh, to the north of Tyre and is a, one of their major cities. And uh, it's S-I-D-O-N. And in the King James, they spell it with a Z. Like they do a lot of things. They change the spellings of a lot of the cities. So this curse now is on Sidon. We've been going through a couple chapters on Tyre. And remember, in the midst of the midst of his curse on Tyre, he changed it to talk about Satan. We saw a picture of Satan in there as well. So here we are now. He's continuing with Sidon. And this particular prophecy, as far as we can tell, has not been fulfilled yet. There are a few people that say during the time of Nebuchadnezzar that they were destroyed, but most of what we see from this description has never happened yet in history. And so it is probably this one and the next chapter, which is talking about uh, Egypt, seems to be... Yet future in the, in the end days when God calls his people together and finally gets glorified by them. So we're going to look at this, and that's going to be the position I take on this. This is that is still to be fulfilled. And so it says again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Sidon and prophesy against it. Okay, turn, turn toward them now and give their, give their, give their curse, basically. <laughs> Uh, these, these prophecies all seem to be curses right now. And he said in verse 26, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Sidon, and I will be glorified in the midst of you, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have executed judgment in her and shall be sanctified in her. Now this is kind of an interesting story, statement. God will be justified even amongst the heathen. He will be lifted up. He says, I am against you and I will be glorified in the midst of even Sidon. And, you know, this is something. Have you ever seen God do something to, you know, somebody who is an enemy of a Christian or maybe even your own enemy at some point and watched God put them in their place basically and watch what happens so that God is glorified, he is justified in the dealing with his children? I've seen it happen several times where somebody will go against a, a pastor or a church or a Christian, and eventually God will bring judgment upon them. And this is some of the things that we see Christians being judged in our day and age and, and persecuted, there is a consequence for these actions. People think they're getting away with it because the, the the country and the world seem to think, oh, it's okay. It's okay if you do these things. It's you know, those Christians are just so bigoted and intolerant, you, just, you can do whatever you want to them. Well, eventually, God defends his people. And if you remember way back in the beginning of Psalms, you know, when we read those first uh, 12 Psalms, it says, you know, how long will the heathen rage? And God, how long are you going to sit down and not, not deliver us? But God always eventually will deliver us. And the thing we always have to remember for God is it's not over until he says it's over okay we think sometimes it is terrible but god looks at something and he doesn't even look at one lifetime he looks over generations of lifetimes he looks over the entire world history and says when i'm done when i know that it's done it'll be done and i will bring judgment and for us as christians or as human beings even more specifically we always look at things so short now it's always what matters what happened to me is all that matters Uh, One of my favorite books is the the Lord of the Rings series. And in the very end of the story, as as Frodo and and Bilbo are climbing up the mountain to destroy the ring, or close to the end of the story, uh, they start talking about how, you know, the stories keep going on. Because they're talking about the story of the ring, which starts back, you know, Thousands of years in, in their in their story, and they're going. You know what? We're part of this story. I wonder what they'll what they'll write about us. And they start speculating on what, what might be said about them in the story. But you know, for us as Christians, we are just part of a longer story with God. Whatever part we play is part of a part of the story. Whether it's a, what we might consider that insignificant bit part of the book that was just the character and the the background but you know without those characters in the background you don't have a a story either or especially in a movie setting you know the the bit parts that go the this the characters that are on the sides of the streets and are in the in the restaurant to make it look busy you know and, and they're just in there who knows what they're saying <laughs> you know, they're 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 not to be very noisy but they're to pretend to be talking you know, but, but without them you don't have the the picture of a busy restaurant. What is our part for God? Who knows, because it's up to him. He's the author of the story. But you know, most of us have a bigger impact than we ever will anticipate when we get to heaven. Because I can tell you, and I know many people don't think this is true, but people are watching you. If they know you're a Christian, they're watching you to see how you live. And it may not make a whole lot of sense sometimes. You may not think you're doing very much, but you don't know how your little part plays an impact. In my dad's testimony coming to, the, to God, I know the major player in, in his conversion was the man that he worked with, the chief that he worked with in, in the same education section. And he, he had the major impact. But my dad also said the change in my life, having been a Christian for two years, had an impact. Now, I didn't say much to my dad about being a Christian. okay. I, you know, And if you would have looked at me, I'm going, I'm just being a kid. <laughs> but he had seen changes. People look at you and they're going, they see changes in you. Maybe for the good, maybe for the bad. <laughs> Hopefully for the good, so you're to be a good testimony. But people see how you live. And they may never say anything to you in this, in this life. They may never say anything. But you know what? Their testimony may sometime be down in the road, you know. You know and I knew this person that, that lived next to me, and I just watched them, and I could just see that they had something real. Never talked to them, they never talked to me, but I knew they had something real, and it made an impact, and it started them thinking. We never know what impact we have on people. One of my favorite songs is called Thank You, and it starts out, I dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me, and it talks about all these people coming up and saying thank you. You didn't realize the little things you did. You know, and we don't really realize. You know, when Jesus was standing outside the temple watching people give their money, the woman that gave two pennies, the widow woman that gave two pennies, Jesus said, she's given more than all of them because she's given out of her all that she has and they've just given out of their abundance so that they can afford to lose what they gave. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing. What is the right gift to give? C. S. Lewis said you you give until you can't give what you can't afford to give. And then you're really trusting God. If all we do is give what we can afford to give, we're really not trusting God. We're saying here, God, have the leftovers. (laughs) And you know, God is looking for people that are serving him in various ways that will be impacting to the world. And just touching people, you know, touching people in, in a minor way. Annie, for, this, for the Sunday school kids, had been reading the book called Samuel Morris. Very short book. but He was a, a, a prince from Africa who came in contact with the gospel message and just got excited about the gospel message. So much so that he came to America to go to seminary and ended up preaching everywhere he went, even before he was, you know, he never even left seminary. And just the life and the faith that he had was so simple that people would be converted just because of how simple his message was. God loved them, you know, loved him. And he, was, he never felt like he knew God as well as he needed to, and yet people loved his message that he gave. And when he died at a very young age, he wanted to get this education and go back to Africa. He died in most of the seminary, went to Africa in his stead. So, you know, we don't know how we impact people and how our life given to God will impact people. And so never, never think that you're not doing anything. And God says, I will be glorified. He will be glorified in everything. He'll be glorified in our enemies. He'll be glorified in the individuals that are against, against him and his people. These people who think they're winning on all these different lawsuits against Christian groups, eventually they're going to lose. God will, get, God will bring judgment on them. If not in this world, definitely at the white throne judgment and probably even in this world. I have seen it happen over and over where people have received judgment in this life. And it's God will bring it. And he says, I will be glorified in the midst of you and they shall know that I am the Lord. One of the things we think of so often when we see people who seem to be getting away with things. How often have you said, Well, God, why aren't you dealing with that person? How come they seem to have everything? That was David's prayer in a lot of the Psalms. You know, uh, God, they're just getting away with everything. I follow you, and all these bad things happen, and they're not following you, and all these good things are happening to them. Well, the thing is about that is how well do we know these people that we're envious of? There are a lot of alternate punishment. They have kind of an alternate punishment. Uh, Ultimate. Oh, they're definitely gonna get the ultimate punishment. But you know, if you go through really wealthy neighborhoods, a lot of times they look good on the outside, but if you were to get through the doors on a lot of those places, there's nothing there. There's no home. They might even have nice looking furniture, but there's no home. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know what's going on inside their home. We don't know what's going on inside their heart. Yeah. We don't know all the self-doubt that these people have. We don't know the the guilt and the anguish that they're bearing. And we know that they are because so many of these people that we consider you know, having it all get into drugs and alcohol and commit suicide. You know, what a life they must live to lead to that kind of a, an ultimate end. And yet we would look at them and say, well, you know, they had it all. Why would they do this? Well, obviously, they didn't have the most important thing, people that they could trust in their life and, and, and the love of God. And so we want to be very careful how we look at others and how we look at ourselves. You know, Sunday we were talking about, you know, God says that he has made us perfect and without blame, unreprovable. And again, remember what we said about that word unreprovable? No charge has even been made. Not that you've been acquitted, but there's no charge against you at all. If we start seeing ourselves that way with God, what power would we have in our walk with God? Because how many times do we kind of nervously come to God saying, God, I just don't know if I'm worthy to come before you, or I'm worthy to ask of this. You know, how many little children are ever worried about jumping up in dad's lap? Now, they can be trained to after a few years, you know, maybe trained to not step, you know, jump up in dad's lap, but when they're little, you know, they'll come charging at dad, almost knock him over in their excitement to see dad. And if you still love them, then you can see that all the way up. You know, as a teenager, I knew I had access to my dad all the time. I never had any questions with it. I knew that I was loved and I knew that he cared. And, you know, ask him the hard questions and he'd open the Bible and answer my questions. Really hard, I've said this before, it's really hard as a teenager to argue with your dad when he's going to the Bible for the answers especially when you're a Christian wanting to believe the Bible in, you know, as well. So it was <laughs> But, you know, do we have that kind of relationship with God? God, I can ask you for anything because I'm your child. Now, he may not give us everything because he'll know what's good and what's not good for us. But do we have the relationship that says, I can go before God and ask whatever I want? Maybe just go up and talk to him for a while. Just chat with him. That should be our relationship with God, to just be able to talk to God and say, God, I just want to show you that I love you. And I'm, not asking, I'm not even asking you for anything this time. I just want to tell you how much I love being, being your child. That kind of a relationship with God that says, I'm satisfied, God, and I'm happy, and I'm glad we have this relationship, because that's what Christianity is all about, is a relationship with the God of the universe. It's not religion. I'm not sitting there trying to make a whole, follow a whole list of rules so that I can try to please God, which I can never do anyway. That's what religion is. And that's what all the different cults and denominations that are into works are all about and religions. You do more good than bad and, and maybe you might, might please God. You know, the only question is how much good is enough? And we've talked about this before. None of these groups know. Is it one for one, one sin is equal to one good act? Or is one really bad sin worth 50 good acts? Or if I do one really good act, maybe I can wipe out a whole bunch of sins. They never know because there is no written down statement of, this is what, what writes, away, writes away your sins. Why? Because none of it's enough. It took Jesus' blood to get rid of sin. And so we look at this and says God says, I will be exalted, and he says, when I have executed my judgments and be sanctified in her, set aside, set apart, sanctified, set aside, God says, I'm going to do my judgments, and they're going to know that I'm God, and, and basically they're going to say, stay away from us, <laughs> you know, stay away from us, I've, Met lots of Christians who want, uh, lots of people that aren't Christians that's, you will know, tell Christians, stay away from me. I don't, want you, I don't even want you talking to me. I don't even want you near me. I feel so guilty when you're near me. You don't come even near me. And I don't know if you've met anybody like that, but every, every once in a while I've met some people, you know, oh, what, 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 are you, what are you doing here? They're immediately guilty just because you walked in the room and brought God into the room. You don't have to say a word to them. You're not judging them, but God is convicting them. And immediately, he is set aside and says, hey, there's a light here. People don't like the light. It's like turning on a light in a cockroach-filled room, and all of a sudden, the cockroaches scurry, the mice scurry. They don't like the light. And it, won't, it doesn't take them long to disappear. You get just little glimpses of them. And this is God saying, I will be sanctified. I will be lifted up, even in those that hate me. And eventually, as we said, when White Throne Judgment comes, every knee will bow before God. Does that mean there are people that aren't saved, are they going to change and go with God? No, they're not going to go with God. Even though they, they, they bow before Him? They're going to bow before Him, and they're going to be made to bow before Him because He is God, and they will be made to declare that He is Lord. Once you die, your, your decision's over. At the end of the Tribulation period, there's not the White Throne Judgment, when every knee will bow. Every knee will bow at the white throne judgment. During the millennial kingdom, he is going to reign, and they're going to acknowledge him as king. But their hearts won't be toward him, which will be proved at the end when Satan is released after the thousand years, and he draws an entire army of people to to war against God. And it, you know it's so hard to understand. You know they've had a thousand years of perfect reign with a with a king who is perfect. No want, no lack, you've got long life, you've got food, you've got animals that are all at peace, you, no wars, no, no, no battles, and apparently sin has been under control. And yet when Satan comes along, he draws a whole bunch of people away to, to war against God. The final test for the, for the people who grow up in the millennial, millennial kingdom Final test was, Will you serve God when you're not being forced to? Because in the millennial kingdom, He rules with an iron scepter. You will be obedient. And I've said this before, you know, we talk about thought police, and our governments try to go into thought, you know, policing thoughts. God's the ultimate thought policeman. You start thinking about something, I, I can picture an angel standing at the door knock, knock, knock. God, God's thought police are here. No, you're not going to do what you were thinking of doing. Well, I wasn't thinking, oh, no, no, you know? <laughs> no lying either. You know, for, for a 1,000 years, people are forced to be obedient, forced to, to follow God. So at the end of that 1,000 years, it's really a judgment. What's, what's the number one thing that's going on in today's world? Well, people are only evil because of the bad environment they're in. Well, God's going to give them a perfect environment and show that people are still evil. Satan will, Satan will not be able to say that, huh? This generation is teaching in the colleges and even in the high schools that if it just wasn't for you know, bad environment, if we can just get rid of the bad element out of this and, and, we, and get rid of a lot of the rules, everything would be okay and, no, and people would be perfect. And we're going to find out that God's going to say one last time. He's going to show, okay, man, this is what you've said. We're going to put you in a perfect environment for a thousand years, and you're still going to sin. God keeps attacking. Everything Satan will try to say, he puts an attack on there and shows him that it's not true. It's not true. Verse 23, I will send into her pestilence. That's all kinds of diseases and plague. And bled into her streets, which is the death. And wounded shall be judged in the midst of her by the sword upon her own side. Su- upon her on every side and they shall know that I am the Lord when I read this I kind of think of today's world in most of the cities that we have most cities are full of diseases both really terrible diseases and just general diseases of of sickness and and everything but how many of our streets flow with blood constantly constantly you know, well, you don't even have to go that far. Look at, look at the morning news almost any morning on, from, uh, from Phoenix. Yeah, there's people dying every night in Phoenix. And I don't know how many people die in, in Mojave County every night, but I'm sure, you know, murder died. You know. But I'm sure that we have our share you know, the, of death in the streets you know, every once in a while. But you know, I read this and I'm thinking, wow, this is quite a picture of, of what's going on even today already. Maybe not flowing in the street, you know, literally flowing down, the, down as, a, as a battle, but there's blood all over the place in these cities. And like you say, Chicago with its... Is Chicago still the number one number one homicide city? Yes. <laughs> you know, multiple deaths every night by homicide there. But we see this over and over how God says judgment. Sin brings judgment. Some of its judgment is itself. Then when you start living in sin, violence is the result. And we see this any time sin abounds. People start stealing, from stealing, and people start defending themselves against the thieves, and then the thieves start stealing from other thieves who really get them you know, flood, uh, blood, blood moving around. And then we have the drugs, and you know, we have all kinds of stuff that goes on, and, and people die because of all the sins that they get involved with. And sin escalates. It always does. The violence escalates. And we only will see change through God's change. Well, It really is something that we need to be very careful of because the only thing that really changes people is to have their heart changed by Jesus. To have him come into their life, cover their sins with his blood, and dwell in them and change them from the inside out. And that's the only thing that keeps any of us. But there's a lot of people that just will not talk to certain people because they feel like, well, wh- why would anybody you know, talk to me? Why? You know, and that can be from a you know, superstar sports person to a high-profile musician, a high-profile actor, actress, a high-profile politician. But you know, there are people that reach out to all these groups that are out there. Every one of the sports teams has a chaplain associated with it. They all do they all do each league each league the NASCAR has chaplains that are that minister to these guys because they work on Sundays primarily so they have a, a, a chaplain that keep follows the crowd with them and is there is their spiritual leader and gets to know them uh, you know so we know that there are people that are working within all these different groups there's ch- good chaplains that are working in, in Washington, D.C., trying to reach our politicians. But there are chaplains there reaching out to to the politicians, people that the average person is never going to get to talk to. But, you know, we need to also be careful. If you're given the opportunity, open your mouth and speak to these people. Yeah, who knows? You might be the one that <laughs> that ends up bringing them to Christ. You never know. Because our job is just to give the message. God's job is the one that makes it is to make the change. Our job is just to be bold enough to talk. And most of us won't talk to our neighbors and our friends much more than these people we think are so much better than us. And we need to stop that thought process and just go out and and witness. Let people know the gospel because you might be the only one that they're going to meet or the best one. There are people that I could talk to that some of you would never be able to talk to. There are people that you guys would be able to talk to that I could never talk to. Each person has different people that you're going to be able to resonate with and that you might be the best person. Now, if you don't talk to them, God will put somebody else in their path. You were the best, he'll take second, third, fourth best, whatever, whatever he finally, finally gets, gets out there to talk to them. But there's always going to be some people you are gonna be the best person to talk to. And don't be afraid to share the gospel with these people. Why does God bring all these things on them? That they will know that I am the Lord, he says. (laughs) How many times in our life do we go through a hard time that drives us to God and we know that he's God because of the hard time that we go through? This has been my experience. Sometimes the hardest places that I have gone through, the hardest times that I've gone through have just shown me how powerful God is and how much in charge he is. Especially when he lifts me out of the problem when I finally give up. And he says, okay, you've been fighting this for a year. Here, click. <laughs> I just changed the channel and they picked me up and put me someplace else. And it's like, God, I couldn't see my way out of this problem. And he goes, that's right, you couldn't, but I can. And we get to know how powerful God is. Just knowing that he can accomplish what we can't. Not just in a mental knowledge, but actually experience. That he just says, I'm going to do this. You think there's no way out? You think you're locked into this? You think that your life is on the line? Let me show you how easy it is to move. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the path opens up. And God says, here's your path. Take it. And you're now free. And we want to be careful how we look at this because God wants to show that He is God. Especially when we depend upon Him. Verse 24, And there shall no more, and they should There shall be no more prickly pear unto the briar unto the house of Israel or painful briar patches. Who's ever tried to walk through a briar patch? Anybody ever tried that? Yeah, I I did that one time. I was trying to walk through the woods and I figured I can walk through this. It's only a small, you know, small bush and I spread, you know, got the bush spread apart. And before long, these bushes were everywhere around me. And where i have been walking, it closed up behind me. And, you know, you're walking through a briar patch, and it is not a fun event. Blue jeans don't, are not a defense against a briar patch. You know, even leather gloves are not, a, are not much of a defense against a briar patch. Uh, they're, they're, they do a bunch, but those, those briars get through everything sometimes. And he says, there shall not be any more briars irritating Israel. Now they kept putting themselves in the middle of the briar patch. (laughs) Okay, worshiping idols and following everything but God. But God says, there's going to come a time when I'm going to take all of that away and no, nor any grievous thorn, so again, painful, thick thorns, of all that are around about them and that despise them, and they shall know that I am the Lord God. He says, all those nations that are giving you trouble, Israel has always had trouble from its neighbors. From the beginning, even through to today, they've had trouble from their neighbors. About the only time they really didn't have too much trouble is when David was king and Solomon followed him, and that's because they subjected most of their enemies, but there still were hot spots all the time. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus is going to rule from, Israel, from, from Jerusalem, and they're not going to have any enemies. That's why I'm saying this whole, this whole little section here and in, in Egypt's thing is all about the future. He says, I'm going to remove all of your enemies, all those that despise you. you know, and just the existence of Israel is an amazing act of God. I don't know if you realize how small the country of Israel is. If anybody's driven through New Jersey, you can drive across New Jersey the short distance, in about uh, about an hour, I think it is, the short distance, and get to the beach or from the beach out of New Jersey. If you go the long way, it takes you about three hours to drive it. <laughs> okay, it's a long, narrow <laughs> state. Israel as a whole country is about the size of New Jersey. And what is the government's answer to try to get them peace? Give away your land. Keep giving away pieces of your land. You don't have very much right now, but give away some of your land. Make these people happy. Only thing is, they'll never be happy until Israel has no land. And God says, they despise you. You They despise you. And despise is a strong word. If somebody despises you, they are trying at every opportunity to make you fall and feel miserable or look bad. Might even try to set you up for be arrested. You know, they're, they're, they hate you. They're, there's a hatred there, and they want to they wanna see you destroyed. This is what Israel has had for its entire existence. People that hate them. Much of it is satanically induced, because Satan, before Jesus was born, was trying to destroy Israel so that the Messiah would not be born, because he was going to come from the line of David, uh, from Abraham and from the line of David, by promises of God, so Satan was trying very hard to get rid of them. Because if he could get rid of them, then Jesus could not be born, according to prophecy. Since Jesus' birth, he's trying to get rid of them so that he will not rule from Jerusalem and have the Jewish state be reestablished. So Satan has been trying to destroy him again, to try to destroy prophecy. When you really understand Satan's motivation against Israel, it's all because of prophecy. God said the Messiah was coming through him, and he says, I'm going to reign from, from my people Israel, and they're going to be the center of everything in the millennial kingdom. So Satan tries very hard to get rid of them. The fact that they exist is a miracle. The fact that they were brought back to their land is a miracle. The fact that they even are an existing country is a miracle. But they don't worship God yet as a, as a nation. They are Jews. They recognize that they're Jews, but they don't truly recognize God. God is this entity out there, maybe. <laughs> and most of them are agnostic or atheist and to this day, even though they've seen the miracles. And they'll talk about it. They're in the land that God gave them, but they don't believe in God. Uh, this, is, this is one thing. When you start talking to, to people out there around, the, around that don't know God and aren't following to Him. it's amazing the things you'll hear people say in the same sentence. Life is important. Go kill all the babies with abortion. You know, the woman has the right to kill the babies in abortion. You know because they don't connect it with life. You know, uh, you know, don't kill those eagles or the or these uh, endangered species. But you know go ahead and kill. You know have abortion. have have assisted physician-assisted suicide. You know because people aren't important. Those eagles are. Yeah. You know, okay. Where is life important to you? Where is life not important to you? You know, there is, there is no right or wrong. You can do whatever you want. Well, what if you hurt somebody? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you really can't hurt anybody, but just do what you want. Well, I, I, have this, this real, I have this real desire to be hurting everybody, so that's okay. No, that's not okay. Well, make up your mind. Can I do what I want to do or not? <laughs> you know, our world is full of people that will make diametrically opposed statements in the same breath, same sentence a lot of times. I used to point that out to the people in the college when I was going to college in the 80s. I'm going, you realize you just said this and you said this, those are opposites. No problem. Well, which one's true, both. I go, how can diametrically opposite positions be both true? Well, I just believe they're true. This is the logic that's going on in our world. This is the logic that our politicians all around the world, not just America, but all around the world, are being trained in in as they take over their positions of authority. No right or wrong, whatever you think is right or wrong is okay as long as you have no problem with believing it. And and we wonder why some of the decisions that they come up with are out there. If you went to the colleges you'd understand exactly why why they say the things they say and what they do. It's not a surprise. The further we get away from God the more uh, nonsense gets spoken because all of a sudden anything that is godly has to be w- turned away from. And again I'm not sure that it's all on purpose. Satan is a manipulator of people and he's trying to get people further and further away from God and God's saying there's going to come this time when you're gonna, I'm going to remove all of this. Remove all the briars, remove all the thorns. Verse 25 says, and, the Lord, and thus says the Lord God When I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given them to my servant Jacob. This is definitely still future for the most part. God is gathering the Jews back to the land. And that started in 1948, it hasn't finished completely yet. There's still Jews that are in other places of the the world. But you know the one thing you talk, if you talk to a lot of Jews, almost every one of them wants to go to Jerusalem, at least for a visit. And many of them want to go live there. And as anti-Semitism starts really kicking up again, you're gonna see more and more Jews returning back to Israel because no matter what else, they, they, it may or may not be the safest place in the world, but at least they're not gonna be criticized for who they are. And I think we're gonna see that really kicking in because anti-Semitism is on its rise. And if you don't know what anti-Semitism is, that's people against Jews. And it's on the rise again. It is on its rise, and it's on the rise big. Europe is really experiencing it again, anti-Semitism, and it's really on the rise in America as well. I don't know about South America cuz I don't have much there or Africa but it is it is kicking up and people and what is going to be done is to fulfill this prophecy God's going to send his people back to Jerusalem where he wants them. They were scattered around the world and now he says he's starting to say it's time to come back. The next part of this is among whom they are scattered and shall be sanctified them in the, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen Right now the Jews are not sanctifying God in the sight of the heathen. They're not following through with that. There are there are very religious Jews, but the Jews basically fall into three really large camps, and then just like Christianity with its with all of our denominations, there's all kinds of subsets. Yeah, they're really ultra religious Jews. They want to go, they want everything to go back to the way the Bible was. And we're talking about literally everything. They want the temple built, the sacrifices. They want uh, stoning for adultery. They want everything <laughs> the way the Bible says. You got the other group that are just so-so. They they believe in God somewhat, <laughs> and they're they'll be kind of happy for some of the things to go in place, but not all of them. And then you got some that are just Jewish because they were born a Jew, and that makes them. Believe me though, that makes them special <laughs> in their eyes. But it's nothing religious about it. God, maybe, maybe not. Who cares? I'm a Jew. My mom and dad were Jews. I'm a Jew. Or, you know, no, no, real following of God. And God's saying there will come a time when they're going to re-put me where I belong. What's it going to take? Well, we kind of know that when the Antichrist comes along, they're going to think that they've met Messiah. And halfway through, they're going to realize that they've been lied to. And at that point, they will turn to God. Because they're going to run. They're going to be running for their lives, and God's going to miraculously keep them alive for three and a half years. also tells you that Satan is always on a leash. Because if there's any group that Satan would want to destroy and take off the face of this world, it's the Jews. And God says, no, you're not going to do it. We always have to remember, and I keep bringing this up. Satan is on a leash with God; he can only do so much. Now, God gives him a lot of leeway, but if he had his way, he would destroy every human being on this world because he hates human beings because we're created in the image of God, and we're going back to God if we accept Jesus Christ, and we're going to spend eternity, or they'll spend eternity in hell with Satan, in uh, imprisonment for for eternity. And he would rather just get rid of all of the human beings and take the bulk of them with him into hell. And again, remember, we've mentioned this before, he's not the ruler of hell, he's a a prisoner in hell as well. And he'll be tortured along with everybody else. He's not the head head man of hell torturing everybody. He will be tortured and a prisoner of hell, Not, not the ruler of it. And we want to keep that in mind. Hell was created as a prison and punishment for the demons, not for their own kingdom. And uh, just to throw that out at us, is always keep that in remembrance because too many Christians think it's not true. <laughs> you know, they think he's setting up an alternate kingdom for eternity. And it's not, it's a prison that he's being assigned to. But he says in verse and they shall be sanctified in the sight of the heathen, and they sh- and then they shall dwell in their land for, that I have given to my servant Jacob. This is the millennial kingdom. Jesus will rescue them. They will worship him. They will recognize that, oh, here's the Messiah finally, the handful of them that are still alive. And you know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how many people are still going to be alive that have not taken the mark of the beast at, at the end of the tribulation period, but it is going to be a small amount. If you go through the book of Revelation and just count up All the different times that God says a third of the the people died, a quarter of the people died, here, another. We're looking at about 66% of the entire population of the world will be dead by the time Jesus Christ returns. Of that 33% left, many of them will have taken the mark of the beast and they will be sent immediately into hell to to await the white throne judgment. There will be a very small percentage of people to live with Christ ruling them at the start of the thousand-year millennial kingdom. There will be people that are still alive that will have to do something to manage to live and for many of them it's going to come down to stealing. Uh, for some they're, they're going to know how to live off the land. And, well you've got the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Right doesn't say it just says that they're going to be Jewish evangelists they may be all over the world there will be recordings and movies and and teachings and everything that people are going to probably get their hands off because God's Word does not return void and I've known some pastors who've actually put their rapture series together and put in case of in case of those church being you know disappeared please watch this and know what's coming because of our age and the electronic industries that we have and the websites that are out there, they'll try to purge all the websites, you know, most likely that would have these messages. There's still CDs everywhere from and, and even go back to cassette tapes. There's all kinds of messages. People, if they are wanting to find the message or find some hope, will get it. And there may be some people that go, you know, my wacky friend who disappeared, you know, last, you know a couple months ago said something about you know, like this might happen. I wonder, I wonder. And they might go to their house and pick up a Bible or some books in their shelf or something and find, find the message. We don't know all of how God's going to work. All we know is that he's going to work. He is working because, what have I said over and over, the tribulation period has one purpose, and that is to bring people to God. God, in the midst of tribulations, is always trying to bring people back to him. Uh, lots of people die during tribulation. Lots of people suffer during the tribulation. But God's purpose is to draw people back to him. So you're going to have 144,000 Jewish witnesses. You're going to have the two witnesses at the temple, which it says the whole world is watching 24-7, which we now know how that can happen. Uh, we're, it, toward the very end, you're going to have an angel flying through the skies giving the gospel message. So in case anybody else hasn't heard it, you've got an angel proclaiming the gospel message. You know, nobody will be without excuse. Everybody will have an opportunity to come. If you turn your life over to God, you're still going to have a hard time because you've chosen the life that you now live. It will not be an easy, and most of them will be beheaded. I mentioned that, you know, very few people could live off the land. Even if you can live off the land, where are you going to get the seeds? Because every seed that you can buy at the store is genetically modified that you cannot take the fruit and plant it the next year and grow, grow product. It's good for one use. If they come to him, he will provide for them, but it is not going to be an easy road. He's just not going to magically, you know, pop, pop food into your refrigerator to keep you alive. It's going to be a tough life because you chose not to turn to him before the rapture and wanted to go through all these headaches. And it will be a pretty tough thing. And how many people will really be able to say, yes, God, you know, as they face death, okay, take my head off. You know, think about this, especially in America, where we have a good percentage of Christians still, even though there's probably not as high as most people say. You know, say it's only ten percent of the population is Christian. That's still a pretty large population in the United States that's going to disappear instantly. You know, uh, one in ten. You know, figure that out. You know, if you, how many people do you know, and you're a group of, even when you're in a group of place, you know. Working in the prison, I've really thought, boy, there's a lot of Christians in this prison. What will happen if the ra- when the rapture hits in the prison? And the chaos that will happen when, when 300 prisoners all of a sudden disappear. Trying to find out where they escaped to. It would be quite an interesting world because I'm in that, you know, all you have to have some, do is have one prisoner not be where he's supposed to be and they'll lock the place down to find him. You know, even if it was only 100 you know, out of the whole prison. But with automatic cars, if the Christian driver disappears from his car, his car keeps going until it finally hits something and stops it or it runs out of gas and it's going to hit something first. But it is going to be an interesting time for the world. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be taken and spend the marriage supper with the Lamb. Verse 26, And they shall dwell safely therein, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yea, they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgment upon all those that despise them round about them and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Oh, the peace it'll be when you can just know that it's going to be good. Rain at the right times, no floods, no storms, no, no things that are going to cause great harm. A Garden of Eden, basically, for a thousand years where things are done right. I can't even picture it myself hardly. Because every time I picture something, I think of the, the thunder and lightning storms, starting fires and wash, you know, flash floods, and all that. You know, because that's the world we live in. Basically, there'll be no bad weather. No bad weather. Well, probably weather, rain in the right times for growing crops. You know, or it could be, or he could take us all the way back to Garden of Eden, a mist, a mist watering the ground. Who knows? But even if he did, he can have he can have rain. Sometimes the gentle rain is a fun thing to have, as long as it's not a Violent rain, you know, gentle breezes. You know, God can do the things that will make people feel good, and he can have weather that is good. You just don't have to worry about tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and massive thunderstorms. Now, for those of us who love thunder and lightning, that might be a bad thing. You know, maybe God will have a spot over there. There's your thunder and lightning over here. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, how God, how God wants to do things, I don't know. But, you know, there are also people that are terrified by thunder and lightning. So for them, there would be no thunder and lightning anywhere near them. But God says, there's going to come this time, and you're going to dwell safely. Go back to the days when you can leave your doors open and know nobody's going to steal from you. But the time is coming when God is going to rule, and everybody will know that he is God. And this is going to be one of these things that when when the world rebels against God after a thousand-year reign, they're going to be doing it just as willfully as Satan and the angels did because they will have seen God reigning just as the angels did that rebelled. Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God and they spent time in heaven with God watching him in all of his power and yet rebelled. Millennial Kingdom thousand-year reign where they're going to see God reigning with perfect peace and control over everything, no lack of anything, and it says that a mighty army is going to be raised up at the end days to turn against God. I just can't picture people being that evil. Uh, uh, It seems stupid to me. I mean, I just... A lot of it is stubborn because it is still going to... Well, it's still going to come down to why do people sin is because they don't want to turn their life completely over to God in the first place. Why does Satan sin? Well, he's seven I wills in Isaiah. I will be like the Most High. He didn't like the position he had. He wanted to be like God. And why why do most of the evolutionary scientists believe in evolution, and almost every one of them have said some sentence similar to this, I know there are major problems with evolution, but I cannot accept the alternative. What's the alternative? There's a God. And if there's a God who created you, he has the right to make rules for you to obey. And if he makes rules for you to obey and you don't obey him, he also has the right to punish you. So therefore, they cannot accept that there's a God that created everything and set rules because they want to do what they want to do. And ultimately, that is what it's all about. People want to do what they want to do. And if they can say there's no God to make rules, and I'm God in my own life, I can make my own rules, they think they can get away with it. But, you know, we can never get away with anything because God's standards are true. And I know a favorite line is becoming, well, you may not believe it, but it doesn't make it any less true. Yeah. You may not believe in, in, in gravity, but if you step off the cliff, gravity is going to win. And I'll have, Well, I can glide. Well, yeah, you can glide, but if gravity still wins against the glider, it still brings the glider down. You may be controlling your descent, but you will still end up going down to the ground eventually. You can't stay up forever. You, know, you might find a lot of updrafts. You might be able to stay up for a long time, but you're eventually going to come down to the earth. Gravity will win. Always. And, you know, there's always a consequence for disobeying God's truths. And have we said that, sin has consequences. If you sin, there are consequences. Always. You may think you're getting away with it for a long time, but eventually your sin will find you out and it will be shouted from the rooftops and people will know well, what you've done. Huh? <laughs> With a light. a very bright light, yes. Very bright light showing your, you know, here they are. There's a star on the rooftop. Here's their sins. And this is why we need to go before God and confess our sins and repent. Because if we confess our sins, put them under the blood, repent from our sins, God will say, okay, it's not going to be as bad. You'll have a smaller consequence. But if you keep trying to hide it, it comes out. And if you don't don't believe it? Start looking at some of these evangelists who have gone into sins and been, had their entire laundry aired out in the public with, for millions to see because they, they had that much of an audience. And God says, fine, you want to, have, you want to live this lifestyle? You want to be committing adultery with the, the women in your church? And fine, we're just going to make it, And you won't repent? We'll just make it sure everybody knows what a dog you are. Yeah, if we will just go to God and confess, God, I really am, you know, somebody who needs your help in everything. It'll protect so much of our life. Because all of us are capable of doing anything if we think we have enough power to get away with it, because we're human. I got power. I can do what I want. It goes right into the evolutionary point of view. If you have power, you can do what you want. Hitler was pushing evolution. He goes, we're going to... Purify this world, we're going we're to get rid of all these Mongol races and make it pure. And he had kept going. If he would gotten away with it, it wouldn't have stopped at the Jews and the blacks. It would have gone into every different nationality that he tried to pur- purify down to you know, the race that he thought he wanted until somebody stopped him. <laughs> but one thing that's very important on all of this is Hitler was a potential antichrist at the time was right. And I heard a very interesting message from a pastor a couple of months ago. God always has the next potential antichrist in the wings because he doesn't know when the rapture is going to happen and when he needs, a world, needs the world leader to step forward either. So he has to have a multitude of people that are ready to go. You know, you had a Hitler, you had a Stalin, you had Mao Zedong, you had all these guys that are just brutal, vicious, you know, being, being led by Satan, uh, who the current one is, I don't know. I'm not, even, I'm not that much into all the news. But when the rapture happens, Satan's going to have the Antichrist ready to step up, who's very evil or ready to be evil in a very charismatic way. Hitler was not looked at as a wild animal until after <laughs> World War II. He has raised rise to power, everybody thought he was just a wonderful leader you know, doing great things for the country. Then he started killing Jews and killing all these people, and they started, started having some problems with him. You know, somehow it was in his heart to do it in the first place. And if you give somebody enough power that has that kind of motivation deep in their heart that wants to use it, then you'll see these kind of deaths happen a lot. And Hitler was very dynamic, uh, very charismatic. And we wonder, could we do the same? Could another Hitler rise up in our world? Absolutely. With ease. Let's close in prayer. People can go if they want. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask that you go with us. Help us to be very bold in our gospel message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.